0: Hi, welcome to the Research and Innovation podcast. My name is Marketa Doljalova and I'm a Research Fellow in Labour Migration at Leeds University Business School. I'm delighted to be joined today by Eva Jamros, who's a Policy, Data and Development Officer at Migration Yorkshire. Welcome, Eva.
1: Thank you and hi and thanks for having me.
0: So the project that I'm working on is called Labour Mobility in Transition, multi-actor study of the regulation of migrant work in low-skilled sectors. And we're looking at employer human resource strategies in post-Brexit labour market that has been also impacted by COVID. And we're looking at how employers are adapting their human resource strategies and how workers are responding to the visa changes and migration changes. So Eva, can you tell me a bit about the work of Migration Yorkshire and what Migration Yorkshire does in the region?
1: Yeah, so Migration Yorkshire is a local authority-led partnership which works across all of the Yorkshire and Humber region. So we work with partners from all different sectors, including local authorities, the Home Office and the other government departments, such as Department for Leveling Up, Department for Education. Um, health, police, um, universities such as yourselves um, and also private sectors, volunteer sector, refugee and migrant community groups to ensure that the region benefits from migration. So we do have a strategic role across the region to coordinate different migration programme, but we also support local authorities and other partners to respond to change by providing migration policy, data, research and, and further information.
0: Thank you. So would you be able to tell us what migration in the region looks like? So what type of migrants are coming into the region? Who are they? What do they do?
1: Yeah, so we do have a different group of migrants as whole of the UK. We do have refugees and asylum seekers. We've got EU national. We have newer group of migrants such as Hong Kong, nice and Ukrainian migrants. We also have international students and other type of migrants uh, that are coming through different uh, work or dependent visa, spouse or the family type of visa. So some type of migration or group of migrants are concentrated around larger cities such as Leeds and Sheffield when we've got universities. So it'd be more people on a, on a work visas or student visas. But other regions such as North Yorkshire may have more seasonal workers to to help with agriculture there. So in terms of the numbers, so we are the top English region for refugee resettlement. Second after Scotland in the UK, we've resettled refugees from Syria and that was later expanded to MENA region, so Middle East there. In terms of the top cities, we've got Bradford, Sheffield and Leeds in terms of refugee resettlement. Then we've got asylum dispersal and I think we are fourth highest asylum dispersal in the region in the UK and in terms of the numbers that's I think 7,000 in the last quarter and the top cities would be Bradford, Leeds and Sheffield so, so the biggest cities in, in the region again. And within that refugee and asylum seekers group we've got UAS, so an accompanying asylum seeking children, young refugees who are coming without their parents and we probably have smaller numbers compared to some other regions, such as London and Southeast, where the concentration is much higher for this
0: group. Thank you, Eva. Would you just be able to tell us a bit more about what is asylum dispersal? Yes, so asylum dispersal is a model for distributing
1: asylum seekers across the UK, because previously asylum cases were decided, you know, or the person kind of stayed in a place where they first arrived to the UK. And so either through the ports or through the airports. So we see there was a higher concentration southeast region around where, you know, we've got coastal, we've got Dover area, but also around airports. So London, mainly as an international airport and Manchester. So obviously it was decided, I think, back in 2000 to distribute asylum seekers across different regions in the UK. And we had local authorities coming on board on a voluntary basis. So they they came forward saying we want to be part of that asylum dispersal and they volunteered in that. So they were taking kind of share of that asylum seekers, if you like. And obviously the, the housing was then taken over by private companies and they are deciding ultimately where to place people based on available accommodation. And just very recently, actually, it was agreed that asylum dispersal will be made mandatory for local authorities. So all local authorities will now be part of the dispersal process to make that dispersal fairer for all of the local authorities across the UK.
0: Thank you for the explanation, Eva. So from what you've said, it sounds like there is a very, very diverse migration into the region and that migrants play a big role in, in Yorkshire and the Humber region. Because our project focuses on labour mobility, labour shortages and how migration policy affects the workforce, I would be interested to hear where and how, in your experience, do migrants fit into the regional economy?
1: As I mentioned, we have different group of migrants and different group of migrants have different rights when it comes to right to work. So asylum seekers, for example, don't have right to work as given. They may apply for permission to work after they've been waiting, I think, for over a year on the decision on the claim and they they can only work in shortage occupational list jobs, so very specific uh, type of jobs. The rest of group of migrants, such as refugees, EU nationals, Hong Kongers who are coming, they can work in all different type of jobs. There may be some restrictions uh, related to, so Hong Kongers have restrictions related to sport person, for example, but in general people can, can get into any employment type and any type of jobs. So what we are seeing is, I think in terms of the highest groups, that's EU nationals. We do have, based on EU settlement scheme data, we do have probably 6% of EU nationals in our region, but we do have higher proportion of EU eight nationals, so from Poland, Czech Republic, you know, Slovakia, Lithuania and um, and so on. And this group tend to work Tend to fill up the gaps in the mark in a more low-skilled type of jobs. So that would be hospitality sector, um, transport, information, health and social care. And obviously, high-skilled migrant will will come into you know NHS, social care type of jobs, communication, IT. So so depending on a different type of migrants, they would fit into differently into the economy. But in terms of the type of uh, economy we have. In Yorkshire and Humber, uh, we do have um, agriculture. Obviously, we do have a seasonal uh, migrants and EU migrants working in uh, North Yorkshire on um, on the fields. And we do um, have migrants in HGV roles as well we're seeing gaps in that now following Brexit, following many EU nationals returning home during the pandemic. So so yes, I would say they would be across different sectors, but there are some sectors which are overrepresented, where migrants are overrepresented compared to, to their share of population.
0: Thank you, Eva. So would you be able to tell us a bit more about how have recent immigration changes impacted on the ability of migrants to enter the workforce, and what impact do you see this as having on the region? So
1: so I think we cannot not talk about Brexit ultimately at this point, because EU migration have been the biggest migration to the UK in the recent years. Following the expansion of the EU in, in 2004, there were a lot of EU migrants coming to the UK. And obviously, it's very hard to estimate the numbers. Obviously, we do have Office for National Statistics data. In terms of the size of that group, and we do have EU settlement scheme data as well, but that's number of applications rather than number of applicants. So it is estimated that we could have about 2.7 million of EU nationals in the UK. And obviously... This group had free movement up until end of December 2020. And following that, this group will have to apply for a visa. So obviously, previously, we did have a lot of seasonal migration. People from Poland, Romania will come to the UK to do seasonal work during summer we had a lot of students coming to fill up those those gaps in, in those type of businesses and obviously that's not happening at the moment because people do not have a right to work they cannot get visa to work in a coffee shop as they previously did and so obviously we're experiencing the shortage of you know gaps in a uh, in agriculture, catering, there's some gaps in care sector, as we know, construction. So those are the type of jobs that were previously overrepresented by by EU nationals who can no longer move freely uh, to the UK. But we also have other group of migrants that are coming. So we have Afghans, we've got Ukrainians. So to some extent, they may be filling up some of those gaps left by EU nationals. We do have a very different group coming to the region. So Hong Kongers coming on a BNR visa, it's so a British National Overseas visa. Hong Kongers are uh, much more qualified than other uh, migrant groups, and and again, you know, they may be filling up gaps in in highly skilled, uh, you know, in IT, in communication, in NHS. We are seeing Hong Kong nurses coming in and accessing NHS. So we would have those policy changes in terms of the immigration system that are affecting which group of migrants are coming uh, to the UK. But we also have some changes in practice. So we very recently we've had changes in terms of how people are proving the right to work which are obviously affecting employers and employees. But we also have kind of changes in, in the way that immigration system, people are given the proof of their, their status. So we have digital status. So this whole system being, being digitalized and I don't necessarily think that the the businesses and employees have have understood all of those changes in the re- recent years, and especially you know because we we did have a pandemic, we had a lot of changes within businesses, so the business had to worry about other things during that time and and I think there is a lot to be done to make sure employees are aware of all those changes related to migration.
0: so in terms of the digitalization that you just mentioned. Because obviously some of the immigration statuses are digital only, like the EU as a scheme, British national overseas, those people coming from overseas, they also have digital status. And you just mentioned that right to work checks are increasingly becoming digital, they are changing. What do you think the consequences of these changes will be for migrants and for employers? And what do you see as like the advantages or disadvantages of digitalization of immigration status?
1: So so just to put that in the context, so from 6th of April, all migrants who have biometrics have to prove right to work digitally. So there is no other way for them to prove um, the status, prove that they do have right to work. So ultimately, and that covers, as you mentioned, EU nationals who have digital status only anyway, but we also have more vulnerable group of migrants who used to have biometric needs to show those uh, right to work physically, such as refugees. So obviously it will affect, it, it does affect kind of more vulnerable groups accessing jobs because they are struggling to engage with digital status, with digital way of proving it. You do have to have email address, a phone number. You have to log in to the system to then generate a share code and you you have to generate a right share code. There are different type of share codes you can generate and they have to be a right one for you to prove right to work. So there is a, a lot about access to that. So although you do have right to work, actually, in practice, a lot of groups are struggling to prove that right to work because they cannot log in and generate that share code. So that's kind of one area where a lot of people are experiencing difficulties. But we also have people who are still waiting for status. So we have EU nationals who have applied to EU settlement scheme and are still waiting for a decision to come. So although they do have right to work, they cannot necessarily prove it in digitally all the time. Some groups may, you know, if you do have certificate, what it's called certificate of application, so a formal confirmation the application have been submitted in most most of the time you are able to generate that share code for six months and uh, that have to be renewed every six months while you're waiting for a decision. But obviously that's quite problematic for employers. But we also have EU nationals who applied via paper forms and obviously they do not have any sort of digital way of proving right to work. So it, it's very problematic for migrants to kind of understand and engage with a system which is digital. You do have to have a mobile phone You do have to have access to Internet ultimately to generate that share code. Uh, You need to have those IT skills uh, to be able to engage with that. And we know that there are a lot of groups who are here in the UK. There may be refugees who may have interruption with education and they don't have those IT skills. We have um, older people who may be may not quite there with retirement age yet trying to work and, you know, it's very difficult to engage uh, for them to engage with the system. And we do have uh, groups like Roma, Roma migrants who have um, who are a lot of the time illiterate, a lot of groups, and especially older generation. So see it's very problematic for them. They have to very much rely on the children and grandchildren sometimes to help them to to engage with with those systems. So I think it's it's a big barrier for a lot of groups, and it came that change came quite unexpectedly when we were just coming out of the pandemic, when services just started to. To work with people physically again and obviously it's very difficult to explain someone who doesn't quite understand you know how the online system works to you know to explain it to them how to generate a share code so so i think you know if that change happened next year possibly when we had a time to prepare a migrant group for that change it would have been easier and that's the same going for employers i don't think employers are very much aware there have been a lot of changes with immigration with a new immigration system. And I think smaller employees have not caught up at all with that. And obviously, we did have some confusing things within the system. So the immigration system changed on 1st of January last year, but we had a first six months was a grace period for EU nationals to apply, to continue applying for, to the EU settlement scheme. So nothing has changed for first six months. So I think it, it was a bit of a confusing period for, for a lot of people. And only from 1st of July last year, EU nationals had to rely on a digital way of proving status. So we only just had a full year of EU nationals using the system That it's very new. And then, you know, back in April, that was introduced to other group of migrants. I think that was done a bit too soon and caught people unprepared from both ends, from employees and
0: employers. Thank you, Eva. It sounds like the gap in digital skills can be a big barrier for migrants into entering workforce, but also for employers in being able to attract their workforce
1: absolutely and I think and I think because of the way that the systems design employees don't necessarily know how to check the right to work so they're asking for things that people don't have and don't have to have the a lot of employers obviously attract people through online application forms application forms are not adjusted to those new systems so they are asking people about biometrics. They're asking people about, you know, proof, physical proof of status that obviously isn't possible for a lot of groups. And I lead on a Hong Kong welcome programme working with Hong Kong people from Hong Kong who are very educated, you know, who are very qualified And a lot of them find it difficult to engage with digital system for for various reasons, whether it's because they don't understand how the system works and the explanation isn't quite clear, whether it's because, you know, employers are asking them, uh, they finding that employers are uh, less informed about those changes. It's actually showing the digital skills. It's one thing, but actually uh, there is a wider understanding of those changes. and, And I think employers find it quite difficult to keep up. With those constant changes within the system and there isn't necessarily a time for them to you know get to know ask questions try that system first uh, and feedback on it. i think a lot of those changes are done to them and not with them
0: okay so in the context of all those like immigration changes changes to status immigration status checks can you say something about the wider regional strategy on migration by migration yorkshire and possible partnerships with other actors like local authorities, integration plan, is there a regional plan for social inclusion? So Migration Yorkshire, we do have that strategic
1: role ultimately with uh, different stakeholders and we do have quite a lot of projects that are going on at the moment and a lot of them are engaging with different partners. So just just to provide a bit of information about those, so we do have refugee integration strategy, so engaging with different stakeholders um, making sure that our region in, is inclusive to refugees and that refugees can access different services easier. and That includes employment. We do have a resettlement scheme. That's UK Resettlement Scheme, UK, UKRS, an Afghan Relocation Assistance Scheme. We've got um, say an Accompanied Asylum Seeking a Children National Transfer Scheme that are bringing young children or children who are seeking asylum and dispersing them uh, in, in and with training. Uh, we have a, a programme uh, welcoming refugees, uh, working with local authorities to developing the fostering services, the training foster carers to help them understand different changes. We do have Connecting Opportunities Project. We work with a voluntary sector organisation to support migrants into employment We've got refugee integration service that transition period for, for people who have received refugee status and are transitioning from being an asylum seeker to refugee and helping them to understand all the changes and all the things that they have to do. You know, Hong Kong Welcome program that we am leading on that are engaging again with different stakeholders to, to support them to understand which migrant groups are coming to the UK? What rights they have? What what barriers they may be facing? So there is a lot of work that is going on across the region at strategic level and also at at local level, engaging with with local partners, engaging with with voluntary sector organisations. You know, we've got research projects going on, as well engaging with universities to put together. You know, those examples of good practice, looking at what works and what can be expanded to different regions or expanded uh, what may be working for one group to see whether that works, maybe working for other groups. So, so yes, I think uh, there is a lot of going on in, in Migration Yorkshire, a lot of different projects and working with different partners. Thanks,
0: Eva. That's great. That sounds like there is a huge amount of work going on and we could talk probably for much longer, but I think this is all we have time for. So thank you, Eva. For joining me today.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me and all the best with your research project.
0: Thank you. And thank you to those listening today. If you'd like to find out more about the project and follow us on social media, the details are in the episode show notes. Goodbye.